You're now listening to Sanity at the Movies, Batman Returns Edition. Did he ever really leave? That's my question for you, Benjamin Solzer. Uh, no, he didn't leave. He was always there in the shadows, just waiting. Jake, same question. Batman's always been there. Batman's always been there. It's a little bit like in, the, in one of my favorite movies, Godzilla 2000. The guy asks, why does Godzilla, it's the final, it's the blow of the movie, right before they cut to credits, the guy says, why does Godzilla keep defending us from these monsters? And then the other guy says, maybe it's because there's a little Godzilla in all of us. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Wow. Don't know whether the American translators were just having fun with it or what, but Godzilla 2000, a triumph of a movie. Are you guys as excited about Godzilla minus one? As I am. They just dropped another trailer for that thing. I didn't see the trailer, but I saw the first, or the new one. I saw the first one and was, I don't know, I think it's the most exciting trailer I've seen in a really long time. Yeah. It looks really cool. Wait, which one? Godzilla Minus One. It's the, oh, the I Japanese Yeah, Godzilla. I didn't even bother. I guess I should, so I should look at it. It's right. straight Japanese We're going to put flick. this podcast on pause. All right. We're going to watch this trailer, folks. Here we go. Well, folks, we just had the least effective version of showing Ben that trailer because first we showed him trailer number two, which wasn't as cool. And then we circled back to the teaser for the first trailer, which wasn't as cool. So Ben basically got to see all the money shots, but not put together in a very cool way. And then we finally found something a little closer to the trailer that Jake and I liked, but maybe still not the actual trailer. And (laughs) we watched it and it sort of seemed cool. So there you go. I'm still pretty excited about Godzilla minus one. More excited than I am about Shin Godzilla. Certainly more excited than I am about that dumb monarch TV show for fat Americans that are supposed to be interested in lore. The lore of the monarch organization. One of the lamest of the shared universe conceits of all time. But how did we get talking about that? Oh, because I asked you guys if there was a little bit of Batman. If Batman had always been with us. And your response was, yes. Well, folks, I'd be lying if I said we didn't just pause again and then watch the same trailer. <laughs> <laughs> we just, because Jake was like, I think I found the trailer. And then it was the same was trailer. The same <laughs> but it looks cool. It looks like a post apocalyptic. Well, all Godzilla is post apocalyptic. It looks like the post actual apocalyptic. Well, whatever. You could go watch the Godzilla minus one trailer, the first one, and then you can form your own judgments. I'm not here to make judgments for you. I guess I am here to make judgments for you. That's what a podcast is all about. Listen, folks, we're talking Batman Returns. My name is Nathan. I don't think I said that. This is Batman Returns, 1992's classic film. A Merry Christmas to everyone. This is our Christmas movie for this year. Because <laughs> actually, the schedule just worked out that way. But we figured, hey... It's one of those movies that frat boys like to say is a Christmas movie. And Die Hard, of course, being the class. I always think it's funny and cool when people do that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, true story. Nathan showed me Die Hard at Christmas once. Really? I bet it was fun. Did Came I to my house and we watched Die Hard. But I, I didn't say, it's my favorite Christmas movie. Did I? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think you said it quite like that. I mean, first of all, you might have intimated something like that. 
I just think, you know, <laughs> it's a wonderful life. That's a good Christmas movie. A Christmas story. White Christmas. White Christmas. Christmas story is not a good Christmas movie. Well, we're going to have to. Just, I like Christmas We just story. have to arbitrate that one of these years. Although maybe we don't because if Jake can't get into the spirit, then maybe that'll just be a bummer for I've just, our I've audience. I've never enjoyed that movie. I mean, it's got its iconic things and it's in, I don't know. My feeling is that you, like many people, had it inflicted on you. You, I did. you grew up during the post kind of, we've all discovered this and we all have to pretend like it's the greatest thing ever and it plays 24 hours on TBN or whatever. That's exactly right. And TBN. So on TBN, and the Trinity Broadcasting <laughs> Network. TBS, it. TNT, USA, whichever it was. Of course, yeah. Somebody is just playing five minutes of that thing and then 10 minutes of commercials and five minutes of that thing and, and it's ten, on yeah. in the back and it's like if you go to your rel- your grandparents' house, then it's like turned up too loud. And yeah, that's exactly it. It's that sort of energy. <clears throat> so I get that and I get not liking it, but mm-hmm. I watched it with my family when I was really young, before it had quite come to the same cultural rediscovery and prominence, it's, it's like these things have life cycles, you know? I mean, I, I saw Shawshank Redemption before everybody agreed that Shawshank Redemption was a great movie, and that was a better way to see Shawshank was when we were all just discovering it on VHS. Same thing for Princess Bride, same thing for Christmas Story. If you hit those things when you've have had a million people tell you they're great, well, maybe they don't feel as great. I don't know. So I understand Jake. And, and then Jake's had to probably put up, just like with Monty Python and the Holy Grail, you put up with people saying the lines and saying, oh, oh fudge right. and oh, ho, fudge. ho, ho. You'll and, shoot your eye out. And fragile. Yeah. All that stuff. Every there, time a buck shows up at the house. Fragile. Fragile. Yeah. There's just a world of... <laughs> must be Italian. Mm-hmm. World of dad jokes that come from the admittedly great performance of Darren McGavin as the dad and no, he was awesome. the old man in that movie as well. I, mean, I, can be, I can be objective about it. Like yeah. It has some truly great iconic scenes and moments and great performances. I think but, as an adult, just coming to it cold, you can be hit and miss on the kid stuff, but the thing that's absolutely undeniable is that dad and mom and everything, all the subtext of what's going on with them and their relationship and their relationship with their kids and their relationship with the world is really funny. It's really fun. Yeah. I like, I really like Ralphie and the Bully, like that little storyline that always got Mom me. and dad just getting day drunk on Christmas morning is is really fun. Yeah, yeah, actually. yeah. That's my favorite part. Yeah, I mean, just the, the whole sort of... <laughs> yeah, you just you go, it's fine. <laughs> but it's not a cynical movie. I mean, it is a cynical movie, but it... It works on multiple levels. I don't know. I guess we could just talk I, about it. Yeah, I, it ends not cynical. It ends pretty... There's some pretty sweet stuff in it. Speaking of uh, being not cynical and full of sweetness... I Jake, you don't have to it's say Benjamin anything else. Solzer. <laughs> <laughs> Batman Returns. All right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. I thought I'd start by reading an Amazon review that I found of Batman Returns, which is... I don't want to overhype this, but this might be the best Amazon review. And I don't, I'm not the type that goes searching for Amazon reviews. I just happened, I don't know why, I just came across this. This is amazing. So the title of the Amazon review, a dark triumph, but a triumph nevertheless. Few things are as difficult in movie showbiz as launching a film that demands a sequel and then producing a sequel feature that is as good or even better than the original. And here with Batman Returns, director Tim Burton pulls it off spectacularly. (laughs) Not not that interesting so far. Uh Maybe we may disagree so he says beginning at the bottom is in a list of superlatives with overall design and set viewers will find that this is the best expression of the historical deco or modern style prevalent in the late 30s which the when the batman figure debuted 
blah, 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 neo-Nazi worker, hero, iconography of rock, Seltzer, blah. So it goes on like that for a couple paragraphs. And then the period costumes of all the characters are excellent and hotter even than those from older movies and strips. And then it says, Christopher Walken, colon. He plays not the principal villain, but an unsavory one with a brilliant sociopathic timing that cannot be adequately described. In fact, if one were to review all the many villains, large and small, that Walken has created on the screen, one would have to say these freaks and misfits are his professional specialities, and maybe you'd think creating them is easy to do. Not so. Myself, I remember the first time I saw Walken play in a revival of Tennessee Williams' Sweet Bird of Youth in New York City at the Harkness. He played Chance Wayne against Irene Worth's Adrian Del Lago, and the effect was absolutely unconventional and sensational. Originally, the play opened with Paul Newman as the hustler Gigolo, playing against Geraldine Page as the fated movie queen in the Mississippi River Rivera Hotel. Young and hugely talented as she was, Page played it like her version of Gloria Swanson or Pola Negari with exaggerated makeup. Newman played it in white silk pajamas, Holy unbuttoned, cow. and flashing that famous <laughs> washboard belly. It was fabulous. Women went nuts. Those are both like the explanation points. It was priceless and worth far more than your seat cost. But... The flaw in the production was that anybody taking one look at Newman would realize there was no reason on God's green earth why he shouldn't be a movie star and the play dependent on his being a failed wannabe. But in the revival, Worth played the princess like an American actress, which she was, though expatriate, with English upper crust manners over the soul of a gutter opportunist. Perfect. Walken played Chance Wayne like a young Elvis with a greasy pompadour and Tupelo, Mississippi accent, complete with uncouth redneck mannerisms. It was a triumph of the actor's art. Here, the role is nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? But Walken He really this... wants you to know he went and saw this play in New York a long <laughs> time really ago. He really does. He goes on and on. But Walken <laughs> and brings... he has thoughts about it. But Walken brings the same unique intelligence and sensitivity to this role. And if you watch his performance whenever he's on screen, you'll see how extremely good he is at what he does, always fresh. Michael Keaton, he's phenomenal, not because he's super handsome or has a magnificent body or an aerialist's agility, but because he have, has enough of what's required for the role that is a manly persona and one thing extra, generosity and poise. He is a violent nocturnalist and always a gentleman. Michelle Pfeiffer, this is one of the most beautiful women ever to appear on the screen and she can and does outact just about everybody in the biz and has for years. Here, her take on cat moment is so rich, so rare and unusual, she puts all preceding sisters to shame, from Lee Merriweather to Eartha Kitt to Julie Newmar, not only for sexual desirability and believability, but pure psychopathic nymphomania. And she does it with a look that's perfect for the period, with a head toppled by a cluster of blonde curls and wearing a slinky black dress. Madonna used it in Dick Tracy, Dietrich used it in Pittsburgh, but on top of all that, it is her transformation. Great touch points. <laughs> Madonna and Dick Tracy. <laughs> and Woo! Marlena Dietrich. And then this final one, and I'll stop making us happy with this. And now, ladies and gentlemen, allow me to present the one, the only, the superlative, Danley, Danny DeVito. This how, how many times has the word superlative been in this I don't review? Know. This is an actor who's been around the block for a long time. He's given many performances on film, and most of them have been good to exceptional, but he's never had the opportunity to reach for the brass ring of screen monsterdom. And here in Batman Returns, Tim Burton gives him the opportunity, and I must warn you, whether or not you have seen DeVito play it, with Penguin or Oswald Cobblepot, Danny DeVito achieves a quality of work equal to that of Conrad Veidt, Charles Lawton, or even Lon Chaney Sr. The peaks and valleys of his frenzies, his manias, his perverse lusts, his outbreaks of mindless violent hysteria are a sight to behold, simultaneously hilarious and hideous, both pathetic and loathsome, you might think overacting but no 
It's pure <laughs> method. <laughs> Watching <laughs> Batman Returns yet again, I believe that Burton created this film for DeVito as good as the other actors in the cast are. And they are excellent. It is impossible to imagine any actor playing this role even remotely as well as DeVito does. It, ma- make you think, it makes you think if the man could sing, what a Rigoletto he would be. That's what I thought. I mean, we were all thinking it. Yeah, you know, we just needed him to say it for us. And that is literally how the review ends. That is a very painful thing. Thank you for inflicting it. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's amazing. (sighs) Isn't that a better monologue than, well, no, Christopher Walken has a better speech in this movie. Um, (sighs) Listen, folks, we're talking about Batman Returns, a movie that I was really looking forward to talking about. I thought it would be the crown jewel in the four, in Superman, Superman two. two. Yeah, that's what it's called. Trying to pull it there. Batman and Batman Returns. We'll have to decide what we thought the one that actually held up the most was. I have a feeling I can guess what you guys will say mm-hmm. based on the episodes. <clears throat> but we're talking about the movie that I was really excited to talk about. And so let's talk about it. It doesn't matter. It's in the past. <laughs> Yeah, but it still hurts. Oh, yes, the past can't hurt. I never look back, darling. It distracts from the now. Well, guys, that's the baggage sound effect, audio clip, whatever, telling us that we need to discuss our baggage with Batman Returns. I'll go first because I just was starting to already say it. I was hoping that this movie would be the crown jewel in our discussion. I remembered it as a beautiful gothic fairy tale full of pain and melodrama and darkness yes but also just about the best encapsulation of tim burton's vision maybe the only tim burton movie that from start to finish was really the work of an auteur now i sound like that amazon review but you know tim burton is such a brand i was trying to decide if you were being serious or if you were just parroting the review no i I am being serious (laughs) i mean this was me going in we'll see what how i felt coming out but as like you know, Tim Burton always he's kind of like fake gothic. Like as I've said before in this series, I think I said it in our Batman episode. Like people would always say, Nathan, you're a dark horror movie guy. You you must like Tim Burton. And by the way, Die Hard, great Christmas movie. And, <laughs> and I'd be like, <laughs> Nathan's movie takes are in no way formed by the pain of his childhood. <laughs> no, just like Tim Burton's point. <laughs> movie takes are in no way formed by the pain of his childhood. And I'd be like, no, Tim Burton's kind of for posers. I mean, he's not really dark. He's just like candy dark. He's not steak dark. It's, you know, he's for, he's a hot, he's hot topic, especially as Nightmare on Christmas was being kind of reassessed and re-owned in the early 2000s and people that was becoming literally a hot topic staple and a holiday staple. It's just like, okay, he's a brand, which you can't be the true voice of the outsider if you are also a brand that everyone loves <laughs> is nelly's the mom and pop diner uh-huh. uh is full of uh, nightmare before christmas decorations and a giant jack skellington out front yeah guess what you are no longer an outsider <laughs> artist <laughs> and the whole just hot top of topification of our culture you know so there's right. a lot to not like about tim burton but if you'd asked me before re- this rewatch i would have said this is the movie where tim burton really did just bear his pained soul and really kind of got to some kind of ex- excessive melodramatic peak maybe this and ed wood and maybe you could i could pull one more that might actually be some kind of a masterpiece but so that's how i felt about this going in obviously people will have already heard my larger batman take um 
so I don't have to recap that for anybody. But I was really excited to watch this movie and talk about this movie. And then I watched the movie. Mm. And now I'm going to talk about the movie. So, and fun fact, I actually ended up watching it twice because of reasons that I won't discuss on the podcast. I thought we were going to do it at a certain juncture. And then, so I watched it in anticipation of that. And then there went months where we didn't record it. And I watched it again with you guys. Yay. So thank you for everything that happened that made that happen. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> now, Jake, what is your baggage with Batman Returns? <laughs> I have so much baggage right now. My baggage with Batman Returns, I saw it probably, if not in theaters. Oh, I'm sorry. Can I say one more thing? The Toys. So this is the first movie, because I would have been, I don't know, seven or eight when this one came out. I wasn't allowed to see it in theaters, but I remember the McDonald's line. I remember the Penguin Toys. I remember... Oh, yeah. This movie had so much cool paraphernalia that I thought was – I just loved as a kid and owned a lot of the accoutrement of this movie. And so that's probably my other baggage that in many ways the the imagery of this movie is an entry point into Batman for me. Sorry, go ahead. So Batman 89 I saw and that's sort of my thinking and feeling and like setting the frame in terms of the Batman imagery of it all. I mean, that plus the old show I used to watch with my grandparents, Adam West. Yeah. But but the Batman 89 is what reframed everything and made it feel big and epic and awesome and cool and dark. And so, uh, you know, um, that hit the drive-in um, at 89 about around the time of my parents' divorce when I was five or six. I remember going to see it at the drive-in with my dad and my brother. And so it's just and when your parents were getting divorced, they literally were arguing over some pearls and then the that's pearls right. pulled yeah. apart. I think you guys were yeah, in an alleyway. And everybody and... got shot, but <laughs> we all survived. It might have been better if we died. It was yeah. but... nerf guns, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so then that just sort of set the stage for oh yeah, well, this is gonna be maybe a thing for us. And so uh, the next one came out. And we either saw it in theaters or we as soon as it was on video, we rented it. And what was this, 91? Uh, 92. 92, so I would have been eight. And I remember being pretty grossed out by it. And So you uh, didn't like power through and try to tell yourself that you liked it. You were just like, this is too much even for a kid that wants to like a Batman. <laughs> yeah, I found, it, I found it difficult. I didn't like it. it There's just too much gross and dark and disgusting. Things like penguin chomping into the fish or blood always pouring down his mouth and the mm-hmm. sexual stuff. Like it was just in the, I just wasn't really there for it. And I think my dad understood that we shouldn't be there for it either. And so I don't remember seeing it maybe more than once or twice or so as a kid. And I hadn't seen it since I was a kid, hadn't wanted to see it since I was a kid. So that's sort of, but I, I mean, we still saw all the other Batman movies, probably in theaters, like every one of them, Batman and Robin, Forever, all the things. <laughs> That's, this, this really is a tragic backstory that you're telling us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did. Right. Like, I really did see them all. Like, but probably only once. I don't think I've ever. The, I think the only one I've seen multiple times. I might have seen this one a, a couple times. I don't think I ever saw any of the others more than once. And and then eighty nine, I saw a hundred times. Not even Forever. I mean, Forever was fairly well-liked when it came out, and it had Jim Carrey, who was a huge star at the yeah, time. Yeah, maybe I saw Forever a couple of times. Holy Rusted Metal, Batman. That was hilarious to me. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. Ben, 
Your bat gadge. I never saw this as a kid. I knew it existed. I don't think I was allowed to see it. I had a very mild kind of interest that grew as I got older and realized there's this Batman movie I've never seen. I've gotten to see parts of Batman and Robin on TV as it re-ran and re-ran itself a billion times. And I was curious about Batman Returns. So I happened to see it when I was just about to go into college. For some reason, there was a VHS and I watched it in the dorm room of college I was visiting for that a freshman like, weekend. That sounds like the way to see this movie, <laughs> it was, actually. It, it was great. It was just the right age. And I was like, where has this movie been all my life? I've wanted a comic book movie that actually feels like a seamless visual world and experience. And finally, I've got it. I've never had it before. I, it existed in my brain somewhere. And here it is on the screen. This is like the coolest thing ever. Now, had you seen Billy Zane's Phantom at the time? I had. Okay. I saw it in the theater. And yet you still want it. Saw, my, the, grandmother, trying, my grandmother took me to see Billy Zane's Phantom. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know that she liked it that much, but I loved it. And then I, I never saw it again. That's such a great... It's a terrible movie. <laughs> You'll enjoy this movie, little bit. <laughs> uh, no, I'm... Yeah. No, that, I really liked that in the theater. I don't think I would go back. But Batman Returns, it was like, man, this movie is perfect. Visually, comically, even the action... Which is such an upgrade from Batman 89. Mm-hmm. Man, everything. I was like, yeah, this is it. So from then on, it became a favorite and a touch point for that dark, melancholy, romantic. Yes, gross, but you can you could overlook that. Well, kind of. I have to say that the images and the scenes, yeah, really stuck. Yeah, from eight till now, like. There is a Man. real vision behind this movie. Yeah, there's a. The, it's incredible. We're going to talk about the things that we don't design, like, but the design. Yeah, just like it, it visually, it and sort of just artistically, it lives in your head and in your mind. It really does. Like, yeah, there was like there was not a scene that we hit that I was like, I don't remember this, or I don't right, or you know, then there were all the scenes that I was still anticipating, like. I remember how I felt when this happened or when that happened as a kid. I wonder what that's actually like mm-hmm. and, and how it's going to hit as an adult. And yeah. I remember that was my second viewing experience all the way through was just like, I pretty much know what's coming next and I know what to expect. And I have the visuals and the moments and the things all in my head. And how much is are the cats going to try to eat her? Like right. that was gross and like off-putting to me. Mm-hmm. Like what's how does that actually work? Like the, the little things like that were sort of what yeah. I was processing. Sure, yeah. But like Nathan, I came to this movie and with some, although actually by the time we got here, you know, last week it was in our timeline, not in podcast release timeline. By the time we got here, I had already been processing this movie in my mind and was like, I don't really want to see this movie again. I don't think I'm going to enjoy it. So we'll see what actually happened. You were in for a treat. Tr- surprise. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well... Okay, that's enough bat gadge for now. All Let's right. do some context, baby. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. You may think you know what you're dealing with, but believe me, you don't. Now, Ben, since this is your favorite film, hey, you presto. came up with some context for it. It was one of my favorite films for a long time. I've got some stuff about, hey, I got the script, the production design, I found all this really interesting. We'll we'll compare it some to the to Batman eighty nine, which we already talked about on a previous podcast. But I got more. So the script there's not a lot to say. The guy who wrote the first Batman was Sam Hamm. 
And Burton replaced him with a guy named Daniel Waters, who was more interested in characters than plot. And Daniel Waters wrote the movie Heathers. Heathers. I've never seen it. Is it any good? Is it? Worth- uh, no, it's not. But that okay. gives you an idea of who this guy is. He's an iconoclast and kind of a bad boy. Okay. Yes. And so, and then there was a guy who did an uncredited plot-focused rewrite. The, the guy who wrote the screenplay for Cape Fear and Arachnophobia. Okay. So. That, that guy came that in. That guy Wesley Strick. should have done a few more plot points. A few rewrites. more plot points. Yeah, he, he certainly could have. So years ago, I got curious. Man, this would have been a long time ago. And I was like reading Batman screenplays online. So as I, one does. As one does. Yeah, there's some kind of fun ones. At least there were at the, at the time. It was fun. And I went and I read Sam Hamm's Batman Returns or Batman 2 because he did a screenplay for it. The Burton was like, no. Nah. Um, and man, I am happy they never made it. Made it. You think this movie is gross? Now, Sam Hamm's movie is not gross in the same way. But how about how about a penguin who like attacks a fellow inmate with a bunch of birds, and the pigeons like come and eat him? How about a Catwoman who's a serial killing S and M seductress who casually murders guys throughout the movie? This is like all this. This is gross and stupid. I hate it. Anyway, can I just say one thing that we should track when we talk about these franchise films that I think is a really interesting thing is what lessons do does the studio learn from the success of the first movie? Because mm. oftentimes what you'll see is that they watch the first movie, it becomes a big hit, and then they decide it became a hit for exactly the wrong reasons. Right. And this is a, even in its final successful form is an interesting example of that because what they thought made the first movie was – Tim Burton. Tim Burton's ex- eccentricities. Let's That's give right. him more That's right. of his uh, having his own way. The only oh, way yeah. he'll come back is if we let him do what he wants, and he made us a giant movie. The, the fact is you could have had a literal potato that you got from the <laughs> grocery store direct the first Batman, and it would have been a giant hit. But right. instead, Tim Burton gets an entire career. And, and you could have come back in with just a workman and delivered a much better oh, man. movie with the characters that – and actors that you had on tap. Right. I mean, just anybody who was willing to, like, if Feige had, like, we're going to just studio develop the crap out of this and turn it into a lame next thing, it would have been yeah. awesome. Right, and it would have been a big hit. Um, it would have been massive. Burton gave Because you have Keaton, and he's at the height of his powers, and he's awesome. You have Michelle Pfeiffer, and she's amazing. <laughs> yep, yep. Got Walken. Uh, yeah, and you bring in Christopher Walken uh, and Danny DeVito. Yeah. Yeah, DeVito, who's the ob- we'll talk about whether his performance is successful, but he is the obvious choice, and he had a good performance in him. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, this cast is kind of awesome. Yeah, but You're anyway, the, the, the reason I and thought you of take that. take the world, the gothic of it all, and just all of that stuff is like, well, you can write <laughs> a million great little Michael Keaton Batman stories in this world, and mm-hmm. man, they just like spent the whole 90s not knowing what to do. No, they've just always, until Nolan, I mean, we can be mad at Nolan's weaknesses all we want, but the guy did have a consistent, coherent vision yep. that made sense. Yep, yeah. And he saved that franchise. And But the reason I thought of that in the first place is because you have, here's an example of Sam Hamm, who's like, I've mm-hmm. learned all the wrong lessons from the success of my movie. Obviously, they liked Man. the part where he smashed the mask of the woman who committed suicide. Let's have right. more of that energy. Man. Let's have yeah. so much of that energy. It's like, Sam, maybe it's they disgusting. liked it in spite of that. Or maybe they liked exactly that amount. Like, you don't know that more darkness is actually what people were asking for. Man. Yeah. You just know they liked that amount of darkness. Yeah. They were willing to tolerate that amount right, of darkness. Right, exactly. 
yeah. is all you actually know. But you don't know. I mean, uh, William Goldman's famous epithet thing is, uh, you know, in Hollywood, no one, nobody knows anything. It's possible that if you'd done a lighter Batman with a little less darkness, you would have made even more money. Yep. Yeah. But anyway, Ben, go on. Well, well, and you would continue to make more money, and that actually would be true. Can you imagine how many more dads of our generation would be like, hey, I want to show you this cool Batman movie that I grew up with. If it was just a little less dark and a yeah. little lighter, like just, that movie would be making so much more money. And Michael Keaton's Batman would have that much more cachet than to throw into your dumb Flash movie. I know. Well, when you said dad, what I actually thought of is James Bond movies, old like the Connery and Roger Moore and stuff, which are v- pretty sleazy movies, but they're classic dad movies because they're fun. Right. And so, you know... If I ever and if it's boy, fun enough, and you have enough of a fun memory of it, you'll go back and you'll want to share that fun with your kids. But if there's enough about it that's like icky or scary or dark enough that you're just like, mm-hmm. no, I just don't really like that's not or it's just not fun. Like it's just not as fun. Like I don't. And I'm Batman not do that is, with my kids. And so yeah. there's there's so many movies that get sort of like rubber mm-hmm. stamped that don't deserve to get rubber stamped because they're just fun enough, mm-hmm. and you have just enough nostalgia for it that you're like. What I remember is the fun. I'm going to show it to my kids. You show it to your kids, and you're like, oh, yeah. There was some stuff in that movie. The Goonies. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, exactly. The Goonies is one of those movies, and I've never shown it to my kids because I, I know better. But I think mo- many parents have had that experience of I've got nostalgia about this fun movie that I grew up with. I'm going to show it to the kids, and I, oh, I forgot some other things. It's the classic Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He seduced Marion when she was 12. That's great. Yeah, Yeah, and then the whole scene in the tent and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then on the boat, the stuff that you forget about. Because what you remember is, oh, yeah, Indiana Jones is cool. The whip and the Mm -hmm. jacket and the hat and the fight in the Nazis. And, you know, it's... And Batman is like mm-hmm. kind of in that middle ground where it has enough fun things, especially with Nicholson doing his thing, that you do remember it. But it doesn't have quite the dad cachet that even a bad James Bond movie has. <laughs> right. So anyway, yeah. Sam Hamm wrote a psychopathic. Well, and it's, so speaking of the lighter touch, right, the studio, you guys probably know this, they really wanted Robin. They wanted Robin in Batman 89. There's just too much going on, so they cut Robin. And they wanted Robin in Batman Returns, and you know, I bet, Nathan, but Jake, do you know who was cast and paid to play Robin and never did? In Batman Returns? You will never guess, unless never, because I... I don't I, see how you know, possibly hey, hey, uh, uh, Michael J. Fox. <laughs> no, that is. I love that guess. <laughs> I love it, but no. Hang on, hang on. Give me a minute here. Kirk Cameron. It's impossible. Um, I'm just trying to think. <laughs> We're in ninety-two. Went two is ninety-two. Will right? Smith. That you're getting closer. So it's not a white but, guy. Is but but think further down. <laughs> Go down a couple tiers. Go down like. Two or three tiers. In quality or chronology? Quality. Or? Chris Rock. Chris, uh, Much closer. Wow, this uh, is good, but you're not quite. Oh, man. <laughs> Can we have a second? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to pull this one. <laughs> I, feel I, like I love it. If you, if you pull it. Do you know this one, Nathan? You know the answer? I have known it, but I don't remember it. Okay. I have um, a guess, but yeah. I'm going to let Jake play the game. Okay. Yeah. Is it a weigh-ins? Yeah, good job. Which one? Marlon? Yep. <laughs> Marlon Wayans is going to be Robin. <laughs> what a lame commercial. Tell me I'm not going to guess something like that from the 90s, boy. <laughs> I love it. I should have known my better. Bag here. I should have known better. <laughs> oh, You're talking this, 90s trash pop culture. It was my, my bag. Life, so. in, in Living Color would have been a big deal back around, <laughs> around that time. 
Yeah. yeah. That's what I was going down. Well, he still gets residuals, apparently, from Batman Returns. That's awesome. <laughs> Good for him. Good for <laughs> yeah. him. I'm yeah. happy for him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, well, I want to talk about their production design some, which is like the star of this movie. It's amazing. Um, it's interesting to note how different it is from Batman 89. Both of them have amazing designs, for sure. Both movies, like, actually, that's kind of the star. That and the, the score by Elfman. But it, it, it feels like it's... A smaller world, smaller set design. Absolutely, yeah. Well, it's different designer, right? So the original guy was Anton First, who was not free to work on Batman Returns due to a contract with another studio, so he was replaced by Bo Welch, a previous Burton collaborator. But Anton I just, First, by the way, a genius, died super young of suicide, I've, I think. I've, but. Yeah, I've got actually some things about him, because he's he was interesting to me. Yeah. I read some interviews, and yeah, I found that he died young of suicide. He got his big break by doing a fairy tale style production. Designed for an 80s movie called The Company, In the Company of Wolves. Ah, yes. Or The Company of Wolves. Twist on the Red Riding Hood story. Has a bunch of sex. I have no interest in actually seeing it. I've never seen it, but it's supposed to be gorgeous. I've seen clips. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I watched a short clip or two, and it was like, oh, this is really cool. Um, So the goal was to make it look like a fairy tale dream. And I think he did. So that movie caught Stanley Kubrick's attention. It caught Tim Burton's attention. And Kubrick eventually got first to design Full Metal Jacket, another movie I've never seen. Burton tried to get him for Beetlejuice, but instead he got Bo Welch. So, but then first was available for Batman 89. So just so you know what first was trying to do, here's the first line of the Batman screenplay. Hell erupted through the pavements and built a city. That's what first wanted. He wanted like stylistic ugliness to symbolize crime and evil. And this guy was a cinephile. He's like an insider's insider kind of guy. He had a philosophy of what movies were best at doing, what they should be doing. He did not like too much realism, which is shocking when you see Batman 89. So I have some quotes about, this is just him talking about Batman. I just thought this stuff was really interesting. Here we go. So, quote, Yes, and once you've gotten into this almost abstract situation with the city and car, then the characters can be entirely unique. The Joker can go crazy. Batman can put his cape on and you can set up a whole integrity for the movie. They're basically just a couple of psychotics. One dresses up as a bat at night and the other runs around in white face with green hair. We had to turn the whole film into this extraordinary fantasy land of its own to let these things occur, unquote. And so then, uh, here's another one. Quote, what, what producer John Peters said is that the design of Batman became as much of a personality as Michael Keaton or Kim Basinger. It became a character, so with Batman, the producers realized that people were going to see the Batmobile and Gotham City in the same way that they saw, for instance, the Yellow Brick Road in The Wizard of Oz, unquote. So that's smart. Good, that's, that's smart. It's really smart, yeah. And here's just a couple more, because this guy's... So, quote, the Batmobile was more like a knight in armor, an extension, an expression of Batman's costume, an intimidating, furious war machine. We didn't spend much time looking at concept cars of the future. We went back in time, unquote. Also cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And then, here we go. And then this is just him commenting on Cinema Verite, which we've referenced. Did you say him or Tim? uh, Cinema Verite. No, no, no. Who's commenting? Him. I said him. Okay. Anton first, yeah. Okay. So on... I assume that that's what you said, but it sounded like you said Tim, and oh, I wasn't sorry. sure if you were bringing Burton in or first Anton. Okay. Anton right. first. Hutan so second. Hutan. Thank you. I'm, I'm being handed an award. Wanton <laughs> third. <laughs> an award in podcasting. Wow. <laughs> that's awesome. All right. Quote. <laughs> Once it develops its I own. I don't play these <laughs> games, but when I do, I win. <laughs> when you do it. <laughs> Uh, quote, once it develops its own indigenous reality, who's interested anymore in Jean-Luc Godard's cinema verite? Taking a camera into real life, putting actors into it, and shooting that? 
was a big deal in the 60s and the 70s. I am not an exponent of cinema verite. That's not what you can do with cinema. Right there with you, buddy. Yeah, unquote. Yeah, yeah so it was in his 40s that first committed suicide. Too bad. Yeah. He was cool. But Bo Welch is also kind of awesome. He worked with Burton three times. Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands, and Matt Memory Turns. His stuff looks more like some weird hermetically sealed snow globe kind of reality. I like it a lot. He also, by the way, designed Men in Black 1, 2, and 3. Okay. This guy's really good at his job. Yeah, yeah. Like, Men, in, Men in Black 1 in particular is a really well-designed movie. It's, it's awesome. And, and, he, uh, and Wild Wild West, of course. Um, and the first Thor Marvel movie, for what that's worth, which I think is worth something. There's some good design in there. It's not a good movie. but Brandon doesn't know how to use too. it. But no, he he doesn't. But yeah, but it has some the cool design, design. The design's just fine. No, yeah, but but Welch is. I think he's really cool. I mean, it's Gotham is so different, and he made it, of course, really fascist looking. You already made a comment about Nazi heads or something. I forget. Yeah. He designed Gotham Plaza as a caricature of New York's Rockefeller Center, and most sets were interior sets. So to your comment, Jake, like this feels like smaller. It is like. It is interior, even yeah. like it's just these, but this massive interior sets. They're just, you never see the sky. I mean, right? Yeah, it, which is no. a big change from '89. One of the cool things about '89, actually, yeah, yeah, is you actually got a feel for a city that right. lived and breathed, and this is much right. more claustrophobic. Snow globe was a, is a great analogy. Yeah, that's how I think of it. I mean, in its way, it lets you have like total visual integrity and control of the feel of the yeah, city, but, but, but at a cost. Yeah. That's right. And I, I love it for what the film is, but, and obviously some, you have quite a bit of Tim Burton's use of miniatures, like big sweeping shots mm-hmm. of the zoo and stuff, all yeah, this yeah. really awesome design. So <clears throat> let's see, just, just a couple more things. Oh yeah. Yeah. This was a quote from Bo Welch. He was talking about, he said he took a rough sketch by Tim Burton of Catwoman, his idea of Catwoman. And he merged it into the overall environment. So, quote, when you look at her, there's a very S&M kind of look, which I could translate into architecture with chains and steel plates and pipes and reinforcements holding together a city that's about to collapse. So that's kind of, that's Bo Welch. He's smart. He's cool. Just a couple more things. The origins. You've been waiting for this, listener. The origins of Penguin. The origins of Catwoman. All right. In the comics. So Penguin was created by the original... Kane and Finger duo. He's early Batman villain. He's pops up in 1941. He's a gentleman of crime. He, I mean, we don't really have him as a bizarre creature like in this movie. But he's like a he's just a crime boss. He's just he's, he's never a he's bizarre. This is the only time where he's a, been a bizarre creature, right? I don't know yeah. that I've seen any other Batman. He's property. always sort of like a yeah. Godfather like character. That's right. Yeah, a little bit eccentric, but you know, that's he, right. He's got his top hat. He's got his. He's gonna wear his tux, and it, Penguin just feels like a yeah a nickname because he always wears a tux. Right. Yeah, and in some versions he has a thing for birds, and he studied ornithology, and in some versions he just has a top hat and he looks like a penguin, and then he he oscillates between thief and murderer and grifter and mob boss and whatever. So that's kind of what you'd expect, right? But he's on the more intelligent side and uh, moving away from the more psychopathic side of the rogues gallery. That's Batman, right. Much more. I mean, really, the recent The Batman is absolutely, that's Penguin. That's yeah. comic book Penguin. So Colin Farrell's <laughs> freakish, freaky makeup portrayal of him in a different way. And then Catwoman, also created by the original duo, early Batman anti-hero, just a cat burglar. And she's never evil, just misguided. Just gives Batman a, a love interest sort of thing. 
And then, you know, in the 70s, when things were dark, she did some killing. But then that version was consigned to part of the multiverse where she can't do, she's not the real Catwoman. I don't know what else you need to know. Max Shrek is the other villain, but he was created for this movie and then later introduced into Batman the Animated Series as a villain. But he was. I don't remember that. Yeah, I, I don't either, but he was an original creation of this movie. And of course, they created Harley Quinn. <laughs> Harley and then Quinn, she got, that's right. No, she's everything. That's what right. we should say is uh, for you real film nerds, Max Shrek was the name of the actor, totally unknown for any other role, but he played the vampire Nosferatu in the, the, the silent film. Yeah. And, so, and that's such a successful makeup that. People only know Max Shrek as the vampire that we can all probably picture from, even if you haven't seen the movie. It's Nosferatu. the pool a truly dark gothic filmmaker would make if he yeah, were. Exactly. Yeah. So cool. Creating a Batman villain. So dark. <laughs> so I just have one last thing that I found, and this is fun. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. That's what I It's probably <laughs> the did. best. <laughs> it's not as good as Batman Returns. <laughs> um, if I had a hose, I'd jump out a window. <laughs> oh, man. So. <laughs> uh, the cats the, would come and save you. The, the cats. I'm glad John McClane got back with his wife for one movie, for two movies, actually. For two movies, and then it was over. I think my favorite Die Hard is actually Die Hard 2. That's yeah. a, that's uh, a, I've only seen the first one. Really? Oh, man. Die Hard 2 is super fun. Die Hard 2 is super fun. Except the TV edit's better because it has a bunch of stupid gore. Yeah, it's got some gore, but no more than the original Die Hard, I guess. Well, I guess not. It's a little more. The original Die Hard's more like he's just going to beat that one guy to death. The second one is more gags, like, I'm going to kill this guy with an ice pick or an icicle to the eye and stuff like that. But it's great. It's got the coolest villain dispatch of any movie. I'm going to say of any movie, Die Hard 2, best multi-villain dispatch, like the final way that he deals with the problem of it's the bad really guys fun. is great. It is really fun. I haven't yeah. seen it for years. But. Best Christmas movie? I wonder. I think that one might happen next <laughs> Christmas. Die Hard 2. Wow. Die Harder. <laughs> All right. Here's the last thing that I found, and I think this is pretty fun, and you probably know about some of these. I knew about some of these, but not. I don't think I knew about all of these. So these are... Six unproduced Batman movies right after Batman and Robin totally failed and before Nolan rebooted things, the studio was like, we've got to get Batman back on track. What's it going to be? So here are some things that they almost did. Maybe. Some of these got further than others. But one is Batman Unchained or Batman Triumphant. Let's bring Joel Schumacher back. He made that one Batman movie. We liked Batman forever. Let's bring it back and let's do the Scarecrow. So this would be the third in the Schumacher trilogy, Yeah, the, the third in the... And then maybe we'll put Harley Quinn in there. Okay, that, that didn't happen. And then Batman Year One. I remember hearing about this. At first, they were also like, yeah, Schumacher, you do it. And then the studio was going to give it to Darren Aronofsky, who made <laughs> Pi and... Requiem for a Dream. Requiem for yeah. a Dream. Noah. And no, no. But but remember, Darren Aronofsky was also going to be the guy for the Wolverine for a while. That would have been a better fit, maybe. I don't. I Probably, don't know. but I don't know. Neither one of them was a great but, fit. Yeah. All right. That doesn't he have happen. something coming out right now that people are excited about? I feel like he does, but I can't remember what it is. Oh, I don't know. No, mm-hmm. he had that Amsterdam thing. Was that him? No, that was that other guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, you can look that up. So this one I never heard of at all. Batman. Dark Knight, but guys, guys, you're not going to expect this, but in the title, Dark Knight, there's only one K. It's like smushed together, 
It's like dark, big K, and then the K is also the first. It's there for night too. Oh man, that's amazing! It's, mm, wow, <laughs> really cool. That, that K might be the best Christmas movie. <laughs> that's that's amazing. And it was gonna have. It was gonna be like this is a Gotham where Batman is cynical, is discouraged, and he's retired, but then. Man Bat comes into existence and, sca- <laughs> <laughs> and Scarecrow and Batman comes out of retirement to deal with them. And it was going to be George Clooney coming out of retirement, which is the best part. Like, I really want to see this movie. It is just a direct sequel to Batman Returns, like same cast. I love it. All right. That never, didn't happen. And then you've heard of this one, uh, Batman versus Superman, directed by Wolfgang Peterson. Right. Yeah, oh, I, I remember hearing rumors about this. That could have been cool. It could have been cool. Yeah. As could George Miller's Justice League, which was percolating around that same time. That's right. That I wish existed. But you know who was, do you know the casting of I Batman and Superman? Not. Oh, this was interesting. Superman was Nick Cage, right? No, that's Superman Returns. Unrelated. No Batman in that one. Okay. This is Josh Hartnett as Superman. Oh. And Christian Bale as Batman. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Batman bail stuck. All right, we're almost done. The possible Batman movie number five, The Dark Knight Returns. With now this is just but is it with only one K? <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> Sadly. This is just a rumor. I don't know how substantially true this was, but Clint Eastwood playing an older Batman. That might have been that's a fun idea in the it's right hands. It's a fun hands. idea. I'd buy a ticket. Yeah. I, yeah. In how, the right hands, that's a really fun idea. How could you not? And then the final film here is... I, Especially if we're talking what, like... Like late 90s. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, right? like in the line of fire. Oh, yeah. Well, I, would, a, I think yeah, he's, he's not, yeah, he's not quite to Gran Torino or it's anything Still a plausible like action still, hero. Yeah, still has some action. Be fit. I, I think it'd be cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... I, 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 Oh, go ahead. In the right hands. In the right hands. Yeah, hundred percent here for it. Definitely, probably Clint Eastwood himself directing. There you go. Um, Is that was that the Wolfgang Peterson one though? No, no, no. no. Wolfgang Peterson was Batman v Superman. That's right. Dawn of Hartnett. (laughs) So (laughs) (laughs) you win. That's my favorite for the day. (laughs) Everybody made a bunch of jokes about Heath Ledger. Maybe maybe we would be like, wow, I I sure maybe in that version of the multiverse, we're like, hey. Man, I'm glad that somebody took a chance on a Hartnet because now we have our favorite Superman, Chris. Who? <laughs> I like Josh Hartnett. I do. I do. I like Josh right, But I don't know. Uh, okay, the Batman Six, unproduced, least exciting. I just don't care about this at all. But it was a live action Batman Beyond. That was the sequel animated series to Batman the Animated Series. Yeah, I never really watched much of that, but what I saw of it, it was just I was just too old. I had aged out. But like my I'd aged my, out my too. brothers would watch it sometimes i what i had seen of it i liked the concept of it it might it probably could have been a really cool movie you have an old bruce Rain, wayne a crotchety Men, guy yeah, mentoring, mentoring a young guy yeah it's that with, part's with, fun with, I mean, with more futuristic that concept tech. is really cool yeah 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 and maybe it could have been awesome hey maybe it still will be someday probably will i mean if you have yeah oh. yeah all right well that's what i got that's what you got okay so I don't think I have much to add. I mean, like I said, this movie was Tim Burton just getting a total blank check. Yeah. Maybe the biggest blank check of his career. Like, you just made the most popular thing ever that made billions of dollars for everybody and changed the business. So Here's free reign to go burn up all the goodwill that you earned. I mean, it is just uh-huh. such a, like, thanks, boys. <laughs> <laughs> 
then uh, and this movie made money. We shouldn't pretend like this was the biggest hit mm-hmm. of the year. It was going to be that, as a wise man once said, if it were directed by a potato. Right. As a wise, well, as I, I've quoted multiple times on probably this podcast, uh, Stephen King said, I'm so big that I could publish my laundry list and it would sell copies. It would, it would be, be a, a bestseller, but, bestseller. But what about the next book? That's right. And that's the problem they ran into. This movie mm-hmm. made a lot of money, did okay. Didn't do as well as they wanted it to for being the sequel to the biggest thing ever. It wasn't Dark Knight money to Batman Begins money or something, or Avengers follow-up money to Avengers 1. But but it left a bad taste in everyone's mouth. But they were still thinking about, if, if Tim Burton had wanted to come back for, for forever, he would have been allowed to. He just had no interest in doing anything further with Batman. And- well, I, I did actually. So I forget where I read this, Nathan, but in the course of looking at Batman Returns stuff, I saw there was, at least the way he tells it, is he went into the studio he was thinking of Batman sequel ideas. And he was like, well, this is after the release of Batman Returns. Right. Well, I could do this or I could do that. And the studio execs were like, don't you think you'd rather work on this project, Tim? And he was like, oh, you don't want me to do another one, do you? And then he was done. Yeah, I mean, it's clear he has no affinity for this material. He does not. Tim Burton would be the first to say, yeah. I do not care about Batman as a concept, as a thing. I found he finds things like the duality, these duality, duality, everybody duality. Like the he found a way to graft his interests onto it, but mm. it's really just not his thing. And it's just a fluke of history that this weird failed Disney animator got to make such a black blockbuster and then got a series of chances to make and, passion projects for and, the rest of his and life. And then almost made a Superman movie. And then almost made a this Superman movie. really weird. And what of Tim Burton's movies has Tim Burton actually cared about? Ed Wood, Batman Returns, for sure. Edward Scissorhands. But you get into kind of the night, the 2000s era with things like Miss yeah, Peregrine's Peregrine's School Secret for School Peculiar of, Children yeah, 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 or something. Yeah. I, Tim Burton does not care. The other theory that I've seen is Tim Burton has gotten so much worse since Tim Burton got happy. You see Tim Burton in interviews now. He's smiling. He's got a woman that he's really into. And he was with Helena Bonham Carter for the longest time. They were kind of a power couple, but they're separated. He's got a new bow. And it's just like a new bow and a, a new lover. Okay. Uh, in Enamorta. In, in How do you say that in, word? Enamorata. Enamorata. In, he's got a new lady friend. She's pretty and he likes her. And it's just like Tim Burton without his pain is really not bringing a lot to the. He's just like, he's, he's too happy these days. So maybe something tragic will happen to Tim Burton and we'll get at a couple more great Tim Burton movies. I but hope not. <laughs> yeah, I want Tim <laughs> Burton to be happy. A couple more great Tim Burton movies? I mean, This presupposes that there are great Tim Burton movies. Yeah, and I dispute that. Well, I would argue maybe if we were having this conversation a few months ago, I would have argued for Batman Returns. Likewise. Ed Wood, while being about a cross-dressing perv, is quite a affectionate, fun look at the B movie 1950s guys, and I mean it's a fun movie. It's a good movie. Ed Wood yeah. might be a masterpiece. Um, I've never seen that one. It, yeah, it, I remember it being pretty amazing. It's great. His it's his relationship with a dying Bela Lugosi of Dracula fame, and it's just especially for if you have any affinity for the Universal monsters and all that 1950s schlock, is pretty great. His Sweeney Todd might be some kind of a masterpiece. I've heard know. that. I just um, don't ever want to see it. It's a fairly good adaptation of the Sondheim musical. The big drawback is that Johnny Depp can't sing. 
Pee Wee's Big Adventure? Were you yes, going to go there? That's a masterpiece. I would say that. So masterpiece is a strong word for all of these. Let's be clear. Okay. But well, you got The Godfather. You have Citizen Kane. You have Casablanca. You have Pee Wee's yeah. Big, Big Adventure. Big Adventure. Yeah. yeah. Big for, Fish. Big Fish. There are people that swear by Big Fish. I, I saw Big I Fish it. in college. Big Fish in college. And it was the first time I'd seen it. I had a bunch of people that swore by it, and I remember liking it. I remember well, really liking it. That's the only too. Tim Burton movie that I've ever come out of and thought I I may just like this movie. It's a very likable movie. I remember that. Batman eighty nine is always going to be Batman eighty nine. But right. outside of that, like, what about Big Eyes? Never heard, seen it. I heard that was good. I don't know. All right. In terms of just design, just something to be playing in the background of your Halloween party, Sleepy Hollow is some kind of masterpiece. It's not a great movie, and it's way too gory and stupid, and the script isn't there. Right. But man, what a beautiful, beautiful movie, just in terms of visual design. Yeah. Kind of the last Agreed. gasp of, like, like these days, the, one of the problems is these days, Tim Burton can direct a movie, and it's on digital, and then they just, like, put it in a computer, and they turn the crank on, like, the Tim Burton effect and we could probably download a f- app on our phones right now that would just make everything look tim burtony and, and that's just so much less oh, yeah, compelling just go to an ai generator yeah exactly but and so even things that tim burton's done himself like that dark shadows but it's like it's just kind of lame but back in the late 90s and into the early 2000s when they still had to design things and build sets and there's some kind of tactile reality to us i'm not like a big anti-cgi guy but there is something beautiful about the old tim burton movies where they had to build that and they had to photograph it and then maybe we did the final five percent with computers or whatever but anyway i'm just gonna animate those penguins underwater yeah why not some people might argue for a nightmare it's before christmas it's such an annoying cultural touchstone at this point but yeah danny elfman's score is wonderful danny elfman's and, awesome yeah danny elfman brings a lot to tim burton tim danny elfman does way bring more than he deserves way more than he deserves <laughs> um uh, did you say did we talk about edward scissorhands yeah to me that's not a masterpiece i, I mean i agree uh, but i think some people yeah some people swear by it uh, to me that's like the definition of the lame emo like kids who aren't really outsiders but they're the children of yuppies who don't like their parents very much and have decided that they want to pretend to be outsiders. They like Edward Scissorhands. Like that's the movie that I, as a truly goth kid would not have wanted to be caught dead huh. as a fan of. Cause it's just so like, it's just lame. It's just like cookie cutter, gothic outsider, whatever you want to call that emo poser BS poser BS. Yes, sir. That's what you want to call it. Speaking of poser BS, let's talk about this film. In a little section I call Point of View. Luke, you're going to find that many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. New fantastic point of view. Good as a point of view, anyway. What did you guys think? We all watched this movie together one work day because we were not going to afflict this on our wives or children. We protect our wives and children. We take care of our wives and children. That's what we do. We're men. We don't let Batman Returns come into their emotional. Take care of them. Make sure they have money for groceries, clothes. School. We make sure school is paid for. We make sure the kids make it to school. Mm. Only wish I could give our listeners more <laughs> than a really long Batman Returns review. 
Wish I could give them world peace <laughs> and unconditional love wrapped in a big bow. That's what I wish. Ben's memorized the speech. Yeah, well, Ben loves this movie that much. Uh, what a what a perfect movie to discover in a dorm room. This, oh, this just feels like a great dorm room movie. Like you can just think you're so cool and sophisticated. And anyway, what did you guys think about this movie? <laughs> uh, hmm. On VHS, no less. On VHS, no less. Yeah, still beautiful on VHS. Yeah, it is. I fell asleep, Jake in, fell asleep. The, in the middle of the day <laughs> with the three of us sitting there having well caffeinated myself beforehand right that's called a defense mechanism <laughs> <laughs> is it i i rarely fall asleep in movies no i know that's why i'm saying it's a defense mechanism. <laughs> <laughs> for whatever what for whatever it's worth it did feel like that was the wrong time and place to watch this movie now, i think it's the best way for us to do it right then but if you're if you have a snowy evening with a fire and yeah. it's dark, then that's a better time to... And you have zero responsibilities. That's right. Yeah, and, and, and you're... And you've forgotten that all other movies exist. <laughs> well, And no. your internet's down, <laughs> and all you have is this crummy right. old VHS <laughs> of Batman <laughs> You've taken good drugs. <laughs> <laughs> now we know what Jake thinks. Uh, well... <coughs> I mean, what I thought about it's this... It's hard to enjoy. Uh, yeah... There's so many individual things that I like from the set design to the performances. There's the score. With, with the exception I mean, Elfman, of... Elfman knocked it out of the park. Oh, man. I think it's one of his best scores. I think it's better than the original. It's amazing. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Christopher Walken and Michael Keaton were all fantastic yeah. every time they showed up on screen. What I said to you guys, while well, when we actually had to... Like, this movie was battering us so much. I was like, let's pause this. Let's go for a walk. Let's come back yeah. to it. Uh, yeah. Like, we just need a break. And I said, I think I could edit this movie into a good movie, which wasn't me trying to be like, I'm a genius, but just a way of saying the problem with this movie is it's relentless and it does not know when to stop. And it just piles one thing on top of another thing on top of another thing. It's just, it's akin to the experience of a small child, just like banging pots and pans over and over and yeah. over and over again. And it's like in any one thing in and of itself works. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's just the same one thing over and over and over and over and over again. It's what we said, it's sort of like the Temple of Doom effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. have all these little parts and you put your pain or your darkness or whatever into each part and then you put it all together and you realize uh, we didn't have any contrast in this mosaic. It's now just a big thing. Of, it's just a big black Man. Yeah, what, if I was editing this movie, what I would do is I'd go to every Penguin scene and I'd make sure there was a setup and a punchline instead of the Penguin is just going to do 14 disgusting things. He's going to make 14 comments about under 80 girls. He's going to bite someone's nose and then he's going to eat a fish. And then he, it's like, choose one. Like you want to yeah. say this character is like a disgusting weirdo. That's what Tim Burton likes. Okay, fine. But with Jack Nicholson, I mean, as much as Jack Nicholson is just an over-the-top ham bone of an actor in that movie, there's poise and there's control and there's an arc to the performance where he starts out as Jack Napier, who's a different person from the Joker. They're both insane, laughing psychopaths, but mm-hmm. he's not showing you everything that he's got all at once. It's like the Penguin, in particular, comes on screen. Danny DeVito t- says, here's everything I'm going to do in this performance and Tim Burton's like, I'm going to edit it all into the movie. And you get it 
you get the point. Okay, I get who this guy is. I get what his deal is. I get what his energy is. You get that in the first five minutes with Christopher Walken, and then it's just repeated over and over and yeah, over. Yeah, and you can get why these actors came in with that kind of energy because you watch Jack Nicholson's performance, and you think, here's a great actor, and he sold out in this bizarre, eccentric role, and it really works, and it's crazy iconic, and people are going to love him forever for it, and so we're in good hands here. Like, let's sell out in every single one of these scenes. And then, and that's why I said, you know, I would just feel betrayed if I was any one of these actors. Like, they sell out, but it just, like, strung together feels like a betrayal for each of them. Except for maybe, you could argue, Walken brings enough nuance (laughs) to his character that he comes off great. Michelle Pfeiffer is just sizzling she's on fire in every little scene mm-hmm. she's got a, she's got a good character to play and she's got some contrast i mean i know it's just like a silly easy character arc but she's got like the mousy secretary to play yeah and then she's got the slinky dominatrix to play and then she's got my favorite of her three sort of types which is her like frazzled post fall like when she's mm-hmm. pretending to be selena kyle but she's actually catwoman and she's yeah. We have little scenes. There's a great little moment where Bruce Wayne happens to see her out and she's just staring into a mirror saying, why are you doing this? Like that kind of stuff is the kind of angsty gothic stuff that I like. Like that's the kind of thing that makes me want to give a hug to the character and say, yeah, I felt that way too when I was a teenager. The penguin stuff is just like, I guess I felt that way sometimes when I was a teenager, but I don't want to go back to that or remember that or think about that. There's this couple parts where the penguin reaches kind of a gleeful grand guignol and you feel like as the audience, you're in on the joke with Tim Burton. I actually like the scene where he bites the guy's nose just because it's so ridiculously over the top and R-rated and like, it's just like, okay, I'll laugh. You got me. You really want to make this guy disgusting. But most of it is just like, so much of a muchness yeah yeah it makes all of that gross stuff is more grating all the sexual innuendo and stuff is just more like ah this is gross it was easier to ignore when i was watching it in a dorm room or something i don't know i just didn't care i'm like stop stop script yeah i mean i hate the sexual innuendo in this more than any other sexual innuendo in any movie i don't know what it is something about the way that they write i mean i never i'm like yay sexual innuendo but something about this sexual innuendo is really off-putting. Yeah, there's a real gross, perverse, dirty... Most movies you watch, um, even if the director or the writers were uncomfortable with sex, they wanted to make it feel... Fun! Fun, beautiful, attractive, compelling. There's nothing of that. There's nothing of, of good or evil, beauty, draw... It's just like, it's just ugly. It's all just ugly and gross and icky. And uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, at least you it's watch- hard to quantify. It's hard to talk about. Right. Because all sexuality in movies like this is gross in its own way. But there's some sense of <sighs> the joy, the beauty, the, you know, you can't take all of the beauty out of it, even if you, God made it too powerful and too potent. But this movie manages to make it feel like, that you watch mm-hmm. like uh, some like it hot with Marilyn Monroe and it's like well Billy Wilder the director maybe he was a dirty old man but he loved something he loved the voluptuous la- life that comes off of this creature Marilyn Monroe like there's 
there is something. And he's trying to capture it and make it as compelling on screen as it is in his imagination. And, and you can say that's wicked, and I would agree with you, but it comes from a place of someone trying to do something that made them happy. Wrongly, but this just feels like Tim Burton hates sex. The screenwriter hates sex. These and they're trying really hard to lie about it in a way that's also really gross and indulgent. And it's just mm. some kind of perverse evil. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It's just one more way for the penguin to be gross. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't even tell you anything about his. I mean, how many different ways are you going to tell me he's an animal? One of the things you have to do when you're writing is distinguish between what makes you laugh in the writer's room and what is going to make an audience laugh. Like it's relatively easy to sit around a table like when we're writing a Chip and Lance thing and be like, wouldn't it be funny if Chip did the most outrageous, disgusting, whatever? And it is funny here, but does it, is it going to track for an audience? Are they going to like that? Are they going to feel good about it? Is it going to all kinds of this just feels like I'm sure Tim Burton and Danny DeVito had a great time cooking up ways to be outrageous. And some of their jokes, they, yeah, they laughed and they thought it was pretty hilarious. And so, but the way that a lot of that works, like, and we've seen this in our own writing, it's like, well, the first pass at the joke is funny, and the second pass is funnier, and the third pass, you laugh at it for three days in a row, and then you get tired of it, and then the fourth pass, you're looking for a way to spice it up for yourself, Yeah. and then the fifth pass, you're still trying to spice it up for yourself. You had it nailed at number three. Right. But you moved well past the audience at four, five, six, seven, because you lost touch. You lost touch with the audience. You lost touch with the normal person off the street who hasn't lived with these jokes for so long. You have to keep pushing the envelope. Well, and in the way this movie is shot, it feels like the whole joy for them is, oh, man, people are going to hate this. <laughs> like, isn't it funny to think about right. a mom bringing their... 13-year-old son to this movie and just being aghast, like... Oh, man, yeah. And for maybe Ben as a, in a dorm room or Nathan as a... what You know, like, yeah, that kind of provocation can be funny to a immature male, but at a certain point, you have to tell a story with characters and some kind of something that we can lock into. And mm -hmm. so... This movie's just going to push it. It's going to be gross with the sexuality between... Batman and Catwoman. Yeah. This is going to be off-putting. And I just didn't care about that stuff when I was 18 or whatever. Yep. I do like Michelle Pfeiffer's performance a lot. I think she's... Yep. The movie really comes to life when she's on screen. And there are individual scenes that I still... Like, this movie almost works better as a YouTube compilation mm -hmm. than anything else. Yep. yep. I think her... Christopher Walken, the section where Christopher Walken kills her is great. And then the cats bring her back to life. And then she goes back to her apartment. And it is a wonderful little piece of cinema where she transforms herself and she's stuffing her dolls down the drain and the feathers are coming up and she's got blood on her face. And just in terms of that deranged, capturing a feeling like, like a man, we've all just wanted to do that to our life once or twice. Like, mm -hmm. I am so upset. I just want to smash every window, burn everything, all the things that meant something to me, the stupid paraphernalia of my life. I'm just going to smash it to pieces. All the good girl stuff. All, all the, the, yeah. Everything that was my hold on trying to be a good person, everything that was me, I quit. I'm done. 
burn it. I'll just be bad. Right. Maybe I should speak for myself and not for everyone. I'm like, that captures a feeling. That captures a real thing. There's nothing with a penguin that... No. Well, except a couple of times where the movie's like, actually, you should care. Or maybe it's just Danny Elfman. It's like, actually... I feel sympathy for the penguin. Principally his he's, death. He's Yeah, well, that's right. It's just that feeling of, oh, he was. I guess he was always an outcast, and now he's dead. Isn't that sad? But the only people to ever care are the penguins. That's the way that I remembered right. it. Yeah, me too. But even the first scene, which I kind of love with Paul Rube, with the parents abandoning <laughs> him or whatever, throwing uh-huh. him into the river, Moses style, uh-huh. which is a great kind of gothic fairy tale opening, I had remembered it as evoking sympathy kind of for this deformity, this child, you whatever. But it actually plays more as dark comedy. That's as right. dark, dark comedy. And it's just like the cruelty and the shame of the parents. It's like from their perspective. And so you just feel bad. And, and they're drinking their martinis and they're these yuppie mm-hmm. monstrosities. And it, it's just like, or, or old money monstrosities, I guess they are. You, you don't actually get what any other director would give you in his sleep, which is the moment where you really feel bad for this baby. You get it eating a cat. It's almost <laughs> like he wants to go out of his way to say, they were right, basically. They were right, and you would do the same thing. And they had more pity than you would have just strangled it. Right. Yeah, and it's such a wasted opportunity. A monster that tells you nothing about yourself or anyone else is boring. That's what I felt in this time that I never felt before because I wasn't so caught up in the visual fantasia. It's like, this character is boring. There's no story with him. There's no real, there's kind of base motivations, but there's no real there there. Like, who is this guy? Yeah, you don't really, I mean, he... Why does he even have, why is he even in control of this circus gang? Like, why why do they follow him? Revenge on the city. Yeah, but they don't care. Like, they, anyway, it just doesn't, it doesn't even track plot-wise. Of course, this movie doesn't care very much about plot at all, but still. No, it's even worse than the first one in terms of, here's a disjointed little episode that goes nowhere. And the weird thing is, usually with a movie, even with Batman 89, like you stretch out the episodes by cutting to other things. But this movie is truly episodic. It's like, here's the entire Penguin is Becoming Mayor chunk all together. And then here's the entire, he's going to get the children chunk. And then here's the, it's mm-hmm. like one of the most bizarrely episodic. I have to imagine the screenplay actually probably did a better job. And then they cut things or edited or, hmm. I mean, who knows? I'm, yeah. I'm wildly speculating there. But it just feels like, what were they thinking? Christopher Walken's super great. Oh, man. You want some merchandise? How about a giant... Toy rubber ducky car. <laughs> Jerks. <laughs> the merchandise is amazing. I had the Batmobile that split off the sides. I yeah. love that Batmobile. I, I love a, I yeah. love that chase. That's great. I, that's just a cool thing. I had the Batwing from the first one, and I had the Batmobile that split the sides on the second. Yeah. Well, is there anything else nice that we want to say about this movie? It is pretty to look at. It is a fully realized fairy tale world. It is looks very cold. Got some great scenes, like we said. Got some great scenes. Is there anything else bad? I feel like we suffered through this thing. We have to get a little bit more blood out of this turnip. What else is there to say? I doesn't feel like he deserves. Yeah, to be squeezed that hard. 
Yeah, I feel like I squeezed pretty hard already. I, I want to squeeze it until it's dead, though. Yeah, it's dead. It I was DOA, man. I know. I just I, I want to like make it yield fruit for our podcast. Like it owes me something. It owes me a great podcast, and I don't even know if I'm going to be able to give that to our people because the movie just doesn't have as much enough to talk about. I I love Batman fighting the Circus King. It's really fun to watch him blow people up mercilessly. <laughs> it, it, it is. It's mean. It's mean. It's too mean. But it is. But the sequences are fun, like when they first invade, you know, you have Max. The opening of the movie is just great after the, not the prelude, not the parents abandoning Penguin, but but the Max Shrek giving a speech, this hilarious speech, and then the circus gang crashes the party and then Batman shows up. That's fun. Right. It's really fun. And you're like, man, this movie looks like it's going to be really cool. And then you spend a lot of time with a gross penguin. You do spend a lot of time with a gross penguin. You get some cool Bruce Wayne stuff. You get the best single shot of Bruce Wayne. We've talked about it often where he's just sitting in his chair waiting for the bat signal uh, to come I, on. And then it comes on and he stands up in the light of it. I and it's really that. fantastic. Yeah, I mean, people use that frame. GIF all the time. But that's a perfect example so of cool. visual storytelling. Like, you don't need people are like, there's not enough Bruce Wayne. Well, here's the thing. You just, we, we just learned everything we needed to know about this character in three seconds. This is his life. This is who he is. This is... <laughs> It's a sad life, but yeah, um, he's yep. Batman sitting around waiting to Batman, except for the times when he has to Bruce Wayne. But when he's Bruce Waning, he's Batmaning. Right. I love that. I actually love. Yeah. I think more Batman movies should be Batman's just the thing that comes in to solve the problem. He kind of exists purposely as the Deus Ex Machina, and it's really somebody else's story. Like the the idea that this is Michelle Pfeiffer's story. And Batman is just kind of the... Well, that was the thing that they couldn't make up their mind about. Is it Oswald... Oswald... Cobblepot. I always want to say Chester Copperpot instead of Oswald Cobblefield Pot. Chester Copperpot's from Goonies. Oh, okay. I forgot him. He's the guy who knows how to get to One-Eyed Willie. <laughs> <laughs> Not Maybe a great that's movie. That's totally appropriate for your kids. <laughs> Anyhow. It is what I was gonna say is it just doesn't it doesn't really want to make up its mind. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Which is why I think maybe any one of us could edit this movie, just make a choice, cut fifty percent of the penguin. Turn it into the Catwoman movie. Turn it into the Catwoman movie. The, the penguin is just sort of like uh, an agent of chaos who shows up and disrupts. Yeah, not a lot of nuance to Colin Farrell's performance as the penguin, but it's fine because he's in three scenes and he's just adding some color and Yeah, and let mm. the penguin be that. This is about Selena Kyle and Max Shrek. And Batman and Penguin are just sort of sideshow characters in that story. And it ends with the electric kiss of death. Yep. And that could have really worked. Yeah. Selena Kyle's whole arc is fun, in my humble opinion. I, I like everything about it, minus the stupid sexual innuendo stuff. But um, when I think about this movie, I think of the beginning and the ending, and I'm like, oh, that's this is a cool movie. And then I forget about nine hours of boring, depressing stuff. In the middle. Yeah. <sighs> Anything else to say about Batman Returns? I don't think so. Oh, there's scenes I'll watch on YouTube again. I, as far as I can help it, though, I don't think I'll ever watch this movie again. It's, it's not a good movie. It's not a good movie, and it's icky. There's just so many icky things thrown all over the place. And it's not paying for them by entertaining or edifying you in any other way. 
No. Okay, let's rank. So we've done four of them. We've done Superman, Superman 2, Batman, and Batman Returns. Rank them, Ben. Oh, botheration. Batman, Superman, Batman Returns, Superman 2. In terms of how much I enjoyed them. I on think this, that's on this pretty viewing? right. Yeah, I think that's pretty right. Yeah, that might be right. I don't know. Jake, your thoughts? Yeah. It just depends on what I'm going by here. I, In terms of what I enjoyed on this viewing, it's going to be Batman, then Superman 1, and then 2, and then Returns. But if it's by something like likelihood to come back and watch again? I mean, right at the moment, I kind of feel like that's a zero, 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 zero for me. Oh, but man. That's yeah, how across, I feel. across the board, except for one day you're going to want to show one of these movies maybe to one of your kids. You're going to be tempted or you're going to have the thought. Yeah, it's Theo's going to turn three here in a couple months. It'll be her birthday. <laughs> Batman <Sweetie>. Returns themed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, why not? So, I don't know. Maybe the Superman's jump above 89 in terms, in terms of, of intrinsic quality. Yeah, and rewatchability and... In terms of intrinsic quality, I would say you have it goes Superman, Batman, Batman Returns, Superman Two is just a abortive sort of it's it's the penguin it needed to just be thrown into a river it was just just not a movie it's just a deformed mm. freak sorry to any deformed freaks who are listening in terms of what I would want to watch in terms of the enjoyment you that can I forgive him when on your own time Ben <laughs> I will. <laughs> I didn't say sorry to any re- 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 reformed freaks. What did I say? <laughs> deformed. <Hey>. Deformed. <laughs> Ben's reformed. And, um, listen, Ben's a very handsome man. Sorry, ladies. He's married. In terms of enjoyment this time, b- b- oh, man. Hard. Yeah. First, wade through a barrel and get to the bottom of it. And then I would say Batman and Superman are probably tied. And then Returns and then Superman 2 really was just a yeah. big fat zero. Man. A goose egg. Just terrible. Um, yeah. Man, I was really hoping that Batman Returns would be a strong ending to this miniseries. Instead, yeah. it was a sad ending to this miniseries and it brought no Christmas joy. Nope. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Watch Die Hard, I guess. If you want a real Christmas movie. No. Uh, what's, what Christmas movie should they watch, Ben? It's a Wonderful Life. What Christmas movie should they watch, Jake? Die Hard. Get two TVs, turn on Die Hard, and It's a Wonderful Life at the same time. And you will have a redemptive Christmas journey of joy. That swimming pool is going to open up around the same time that Hans Gruber is shooting innocent people. It'll be a good experience. <sighs> All right, folks, I'm sorry. I'm letting you in. I'm letting you see the, see the process here I'm, because usually I'm in favor of, oh, let's just pretend like it was the greatest podcast in the world. But we can't pretend because there is no greatest podcast of the world with Batman Returns. Hey, you got some good Anton first information. Who's on second? Fine. You got discussion of Die Hard as a Christmas movie. You got some Christmas story hot takes. You got some Christmas story hot takes, yeah. So I hope you... Oh, by the way, Darren, I I wanted to say, back to Christmas story hot takes. Yeah, Darren McGavin. But this is, yeah, Darren McGavin, man, best part of the movie The Natural. Favorite character. Love him. Yeah, he's good. He's the evil guy. He's the evil guy. He's just great. But is he he's the evil, like, is he a reporter or... No, he's, he's not the reporter. That's Robert Duvall. He's the evil reporter. 
Darren McGavin's just like the evil guy trying to mess up baseball people's careers. He's like, in terms of the metaphor, he's not Satan. He's like Satan's number one something like that. minion or I something think, like that. I think that. that's right, yeah. He, he's like, yeah. there's someone in the shadows that's more evil than him. That's right. Like the mayor or something. He's like the baseball team owner or the baseball commissioner. I forget. I can't remember. Jake knows, but Jake's checked out now. So What are we talking about? <laughs> Darren McGavin in The Natural. He's awesome. <laughs> he's great. The dad from Christmas Story. In the natural. Is one of the main villains. Is one of the villains. Oh, yeah. Hey, um, slugger. <laughs> he's a gambler. And so he's... That's right. He And he's an agent of the, That's of the owner. That's right. Okay. Got so it's it like the, the owner is like the Satan figure and then mm-hmm. he's like the... The... The, the Belial. Yeah, something. the minion. The minion. Um, That's an interesting movie. Maybe we'll talk about it one day or maybe we won't. I don't care. I always think that Jake's going to pick it every time we have our staff picks, even though I don't know that Jake even likes it, but Jake's just a baseball guy. So I'm like, obviously Jake has to pick the natural. One day I will. I'd rather talk about that than Bull Durham or something like that. We could do Eight Men Out. I don't know if that's worth talking about, but it was I've an never okay seen movie. That one. It's not a bad movie. Yeah, solid. I know a lot of people like it. But. It's a solid movie. I don't know what it is. I've never heard of it. <clears throat> Eight Man. Early John Sales film. If you know John Sayles, which I'm sure you do. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's nothing spectacular. It's just good. Moneyball would be my favorite baseball movie that I've seen so far. I like it a lot. Yeah, Moneyball's good. I like. I feel like that's almost cheating, though. It's like it almost, probably it's, it's, is. it's almost not a baseball movie. I know. I don't know, Jake. What's the best baseball movie? Sandlot. Sandlot. Fair enough. I only seen it once when I was a kid. Whoa, guys. Angels in the Outfield, Christopher Lloyd's best performance. I, I used to love it. <laughs> Rookie of the Year. Rookie of the Year. <laughs> What's the movie where Bruce Willis plays a baseball player? Bruce Willis? Isn't there? I think there is, yeah. Bruce Willis baseball movie. It's not Little Big League, is it? No. Little Big League is horrible. Little, Did, ba- Little Big League has, what's his face in it? From, oh, what's his name? It's Home Alone. Macaulay Culkin? No. No, the, no, the tall Daniel Stern. Daniel Stern. Daniel Stern. That's right. The kid. Disney's the kid. Yeah. Willis meets a. Oh, no, maybe the, that's the kid version the year, of himself. Yeah. The kid. That's yeah. That's the Bruce Willis movie I was thinking of. Huh. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I know that one. Little Big League has like no one. No. Yeah. Rookie of the Year is the one with Daniel Stern. No, that's right. Little Big League. He manages the thing. He takes it over. He becomes the owner after somebody dies, and then he fires the manager and makes himself uh, the yeah. manager. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to? In terms of nostalgia, I do have great nostalgia for Angels in the Outfield. That movie came out at the right time for me. I liked it a lot in elementary school. They're always watching. Good old Doc Brown and good old Doc Brown and Danny Glover. Danny Glover, and I think the kid's somebody famous too. Then the kid grow up into somebody. Probably so. Isn't it Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Yeah, it's Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh. That's right. All right. Yeah. And Tony Danza's in that one. I think Tony he plays Danza. the bad guy. Yeah. He's not the bad guy. Is he not the bad guy? No. Who's the bad guy? The bad guy's the announcer, right? That Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Ranch? The bad guy's the guy that was always the bad guy in that run of... He was the bad guy in the Big Green. Anybody remember that awesome soccer oh, yeah. movie? Yeah. yeah. You know what's interesting is it also stars Adrian Brody, Matthew McConaughey. What? Apparently, they played baseball players, and we just don't remember it because they weren't on our radar. Adrian Brody. At the time. Yep. All right. I've put out off the inevitable 
for long enough. The inevitable being another hour of discussion on Batman Returns. How many animatronic penguins out of 40 do you give to this turkey, Ben? <laughs> I'll give it I'll give it 15 right now. That's what I feel like. How many penguins to the turkey, Jake? Three. Whoa. Not even a few extra penguins for Pfeiffer. That's a brutal They're penguin. all for Pfeiffer. They're all, yeah, you gave her three, <laughs> three for Pfeiffer. I gave some to walk, go, some for Walker. I gave some for the animatronic penguins themselves. And that those are cool animatronic penguins. Man, they are really yeah, cool. they're well done. <laughs> Although they're really big. I don't think real penguins are. Emperor big. penguins are. Are they like the size of you? Well, okay. You're probably right, but. Don't you think Tim Burton did his research, Nathan? Yeah. <laughs> he threw it out the window and decided what he thought would look cool on screen. So as as high as 4.3 feet, if you're okay. an emperor penguin. So those penguins that slide DeVito into the water at the end were I think so, yeah. actually the right size? Yeah, yeah. I mean, DeVito's a small guy. That's right. He is a small guy. I've noticed that about him. He's a jolly small fellow. He's four foot ten, so they, you know. That's right. Yeah, not much taller okay. than penguins themselves. Less than a foot. That's fair. That's cool. There you go. How many penguins did you get, Ben? A 15. 15 out okay. of 40. Uh, I'll give it 10. <laughs> that's one out of four stars. <coughs> that's that's like a fourth of the penguins it could get. I feel like that's pretty generous. Um, okay, folks. We'll be back with some staff picks in the new year. Actually, are we going to do our end of year? We'll, we'll, we can decide this on mic. Are we going to do our end of year um, reassessment of all movies? You know what I'm talking about? Like sure. we, we ranked everything. Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah. And we put it in a spreadsheet and then we told people, I don't know whether it'll change, have changed that much, but it'll I be don't feel like we've seen enough this year that would change the conversation very much. Um, Rocky. Yeah. Strange love, maybe. Probably not, but. Warrior. Oh, Warrior. Oh, yeah. Quiet Man, American Tale, Clueless. I mean, these. I'm not necessarily saying they're going to change the rankings. Clueless is going to be in the top five. Gotta Avatar, be. The Way of Water. Whoa. Got a new floor. Ah, it's good. I like it. Three stars. Three stars for Avatar Way of An entertaining example of its genre. <laughs> That's right, folks. My opinions. Always more sophisticated than everyone else's. <laughs> <laughs> to the endless delight of my friends, Ben and Jake. All right. Goodbye. Until next time. Meow. <laughs>